Section 13 of Atlantic Narratives Modern Short Stories Published 1918 by the Atlantic Monthly Press This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In No Strange Land by Catherine Butler He was in the heart of the crowd, in it and of it, the crowd of late afternoon, whose simultaneous movement is the expression of a common wish to cease to be a crowd. He was one of the thousand faces that are almost tragical with weariness, tragical without thought. At five o'clock, the sparkle of the morning is forgotten. There is no seeking of hidden treasure in the face opposite, for the face opposite, whosoever it may be, has become too hatefully intrusive with its own burden to yield any light of recognition. He was running down the elevated stairs at the appointed minute when his foot slipped and he fell. It seemed hardly a second before he was up again, angered by the sudden congestion about him. One white-cheeked woman put her hand to her mouth and gave a cry. Let me by, he exclaimed, straining to break through the fast-pressing barrier. The very throng of which he had been an undistinguishable member had suddenly closed round him, focusing its argus glance upon him nearer and nearer, and it was only by extreme struggle that he was able to push away and be free. He sat down in the train, breathless from his final sprint. He felt as if the incident had roused him from some deep lethargy of which he had hitherto been unaware. With his quickened pulse, his thoughts ran more quickly, more crystally onward. He felt as if a wonderful but unknown piece of luck had befallen him. An ecstatic sense of fortune made him wonder at himself. What am I so damned happy about all of a sudden, he thought. He made an indifferent survey of his fellow passengers, and as he noted the familiar heads and shoulders, he had a most curious sensation of utter bliss and thanked heaven that his lot was not theirs. Am I dreaming? he asked himself. Am I about to discover a gold mine, or what? As the train moved out, he sank comfortably back into his seat, and with his chin on his hand he took up his accustomed nightly gaze on the outer landscape. His thoughts ran back to the morning. He saw the room where he had gone to wake his children. It was a large, square room, with colored nursery pictures on the walls, and a collection of battered toys in the corner. The place was fresh and cool, with a sparkling air of early May, and through the open windows he had seen the lawn, thick spread with cobwebs, and in each of the three small beds a pretty child of his lay stretched in a childish attitude of sleep. Very tender they looked, very lovable in their naive curlings up, a young shapely arm flung out in the restlessness of approaching day, lips and nostrils just stirred by the tiny motion of their breathing, and an unbelievable blossomy hand spread in a fairy gesture across a pillow. As he walked through the room, he heard the boy John murmur in his waking dreams. Alicia sat up suddenly, as thin and straight as a new reed in her prim nightgown. Her eyelashes were black, and her eyes were heather purple. Father, she had cried, I know what day it is. And in a moment three small whirlwinds stood up on the floor, dropped their nightgowns, and began to fling their arms and legs into their morning apparel. 
and there was a great deal of loud conversation full of the presage of festivity their father had forgotten that he had a birthday until his wife and children had recovered it from obscurity and made it a day of days as he left the house he had looked at maggie his fragile high-hearted wife and urged her not to get tired with the nonsense she had looked back at him with mock haughtiness and warned him not to be late to supper or make light of feast days he did not notice her words he was curiously unable to grow accustomed to her face the more he saw it the more unbelievably beautiful the more eloquent in delicate and gentle meanings it became to him she looked into his eyes quickly with a question for his sudden absent-mindedness because your face is so heavenly he answered reverently as the train moved on he saw that a fresh green haze had begun to veil and adorn the landscape which through the cold months had been so gaunt and ugly to his daily observation the hint of fever was in the air the slight madness that accompanies the pangs of seasonal change love glowed in his heart and touched all the veins of his body with its wine-like warmth its inimitable wine-like bouquet life is sweet life is sweet his body said echoing and re-echoing through all the channels of his being and as the train carried him on through the fields and woods outside the city something almost like the fervor of genius took hold of him plucking at his heart for words crying to him out of the silent fields and woods for words words a slight rain was in the air darkening the twilight when he stepped down from the train he was grateful for the darkness for the soft air on his face grateful indeed for the silence evening had brought him back to his obscure town a small station marked by one lantern swung in the stiff grasp of an ancient man the usual handful of three or four passengers alighted and exchanging remarks up and down the village street quickly disappeared within the generous portals of their hereditary houses the sound of a door opening and shutting the pleasant light of lamps the brief glimpse of a shining supper table the departing whistle of the train as it shot away through field and thicket and the remote town was undisturbed again he was grateful indeed for the nightly renaissance of his spirit in the clear air and gracious heaven of the place on this may night of mist and darkness he took up again the thread of his real existence only tonight it seemed more golden more palpitating with hope and mystery a still moment wherein one could only half distinguish between the future and the past he was thirty years old today he told himself and he had a wife and three children a short swift time it had been had he them then or was it a dream where were his footsteps taking him down the empty street to babylon or some lost coast of gods and visions he turned a familiar corner a fresh breeze struck his face with a sudden shower of drops and he saw in the dim light the heads of crocuses shaking in the grass beside the walk he flung open the door and heard maggie's voice in the dining-room and the laughter of alicia hello he called and getting no answer he walked into the dining-room there was a circle of candles on the table unlighted as yet and a bowl of flowers maggie 
was sitting by the fire cracking nuts and telling a story to the children who sat about her in white frocks the firelight on their faces the boy john was staring into the flame with a look that made his mother believe that she had given habitation to a poet's soul and that inspired her to tell the most extravagant tales of wonder that her brain could conjure vibrant mystery rang in the low monotony of her voice their father checked himself at the doorway thinking that he had done violence to the etiquette of birthdays by allowing himself to view the preparation he laughed and stepped out again oh i see you don't want me i really didn't look at a thing and he called back from the stair how soon may i come he heard nothing but the cracking of nuts maggie's enchanting tone and the short laughter of alicia oh maggie dear he called again no reply only the soft continuance of the magic tale in the inner room by the way he stepped down a stair by the way maggie may i see you a second the story had ceased but maggie neither answered nor came he stepped to the dining-room door with a curious sense of apprehension there was a touch of surprise in his tone maggie she looked round and on her face was the quick and strange reflection of his bewilderment yet she looked beyond him through him as if he had not been there the boy john was still staring into the fire folded deep in the robe of enthrallment his mother had made as if from the hushed heart of it he said what did you hear mother she gave him a startled glance and then she smiled upon him tenderly warmly only the wind outside dear child it is a rainy and windy night she looked again toward the door of the room maggie such was the sudden torture and fear in his breast he could scarcely lift his voice he put one hand to his head and stepped nearer his wife as if to find tranquillity in a moment of nervousness she rested her soft glance on alicia the child of delicate hands and delicate thoughts robbie the importunate youngest leaned against his mother with heavy and troubled eyes i thought i heard something mother he said she bent over him visibly trembling what did you think it was darling she asked i thought it was the rain hitting the window and trying to get in she laughed and rose uneasily from her chair and taking the child in her arms she walked up and down before the friendly fire for a long time there was no sound in the room except the vague sound of wind of flame and of maggie's footsteps suddenly robbie gave a little cry from her shoulder why doesn't father come the man rushed toward his wife to clasp her and the child in his arms crying oh maggie she sank to her chair trembling and stroking the head of her child with fearful compassion oh heavy mystery is this life he cried or death he stretched out his arms in vain the impassable gulf lay between them then as he turned away from her the walls of the house grew heavy upon him the fire sent forth a smothering heat and incomprehensible unendurable became the spectacle of human grief he went toward the door hesitating he looked back again robbie's face was buried in her breast her eyes were deep and dark with a half-guessed truth there came a sound at the door that caused maggie to start piteously he forgot his desire to be free in his desire to clasp her again and console her she left the children and went unhesitatingly and pale to answer the summons 
he hovering beside her what a flower she looked and how fragilely shaken like the rain-beaten crocuses in the grass as the door opened he saw two men standing in the dark and wet for a moment neither spoke one looked at the other and broke out you tell her for god's sake this came to him dimly as if he were a thousand miles away he heard no more he had gone out into the wind and rain it struck his breast again with its incomparable sweetness he saw dark hills lying before him gateways long barred within him rushed open with a sound of singing and triumph he felt no more sorrow no more pity only incredible freedom and joy the stone had been rolled away death is sweet death is sweet echoed and re-echoed through all the passages of his being he smelt the icy breath of mountains and he knew the vast solitude of the plains of the sea the veins of his body were the great rivers of the earth sparkling in even splendor his head was among the stars he saw the sun and the moon together and the four seasons were marshaled about him the clouds of the sky parted and fell away and across the blue sward of heaven he saw the procession of glowing gracious figures whose broken shadow is cast with such vague majesty across the face of the earth end of story biographical and interpretive notes by charles swain thomas in no strange land catherine butler a young writer of few and distinctive stories lives at danvers massachusetts the significant merit of this story is the mystical creation of a man's experience with death the things of earth and heaven become perplexingly intermingled realism becomes strongly blended with the thoughts that move in weird circles on the tenuous wings of wanton fancy and we live a puzzled moment as we try to visualize the man's experiences in his new realm of consciousness with its incredible freedom and joy the whole narrative is wrought in the delicate tracery of one whose temperament is obviously the temperament of a poet end of section thirteen